School is in. But are you really ready to learn? Open your eyes to a new day in education with The Awakening Educator, a program specifically designed to explore a new mindful way of educating our youth. Learn about social-emotional learning, new modalities of teaching, and the most relevant topics in education with your hosts, Susan Andrian and Megan Sweet. Susan and Megan will take you inside the issues by looking at them from different points of view, from policies and research to teaching models that are actually used in schools. There's never a dull moment in this classroom. Have any questions you'd like to ask? Maybe you have knowledge you'd like to share and share your thoughts live on air. Grab a pen and paper and get ready to open your textbooks and minds to a new way of learning on The Awakening Educator. Kick it off with a bang, Parish. Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to The Awakening Educator. I'm Megan Sweet. I'm Susan Andrian, and I'm putting my phone on Do Not Disturb. So There, there you go. go. That's good. Uh, and we're really excited to be kicking off Season 4. So this is our Season Woo-hoo! 4 kickoff Um show i can't believe we're in season four that's kind of hard to believe actually it is kind of hard to believe it's been a lot of fun um it has been we've got to talk to a lot of amazing people i think yeah i think so so we thought as we're kicking off season four we would check in with each other well the shows have still been rolling out mostly i think we had about a month (laughs) gap (laughs) um you know in reality we've had a few months between the last interviews and this one and we've both you know as always are really busy so i thought it'd be good to check in on our latest developments learn a little bit about what we've been up to and give a preview of what's to come in season four yeah Uh, Susan, you've been learning a lot. So um, maybe we start with you. What are, how, what have you been learning and what have you been up to, Miss Susan? I, uh, well, I've been, I've been learning a lot. As you said, I've been uh, training with the Forest Therapy Hub, which is an international forest bathing and forest therapy training institute um, located in Portugal. And uh, I've been combining that with a lot of the learning that that you've heard in previous seasons with the neurosequential model and really trying to think about um, how these joyful ways of healing are really connected to our neurobiology. Um, And I've been partnering with Destiny Arts, which is a local arts, uh, performing arts and violence prevention program. It's just sort of starting to root the neurosequential stuff, which you've all heard me talk about if you've listened to this show before, uh, and really trying to ground that in some joyful, how do we bring this to joyful healing? How can we make, how can we reimagine what healing looks like, what education looks like, what our lives look like, uh, in ways that are really rooted in, um, in our neurophysiology. So it's been a lot of work and, a, and I'm super excited about this next phase of my professional and career and, and actually personal lives are changing too so um it's an exciting time and yeah, you've been up to a lot too megan what have well, you, yeah i would we'll get to me but i want to talk a little bit more about what you've been doing because you know you rattled off these really interesting things but i'd like to explore them a little bit more deeply um and and say that i'm incredibly grateful that um, someone like you is in the world focusing on nurturing and healing and reconnecting us to joy because I think Mm -hmm. as a 
as a global community, it's so desperately needed right now. And someone like yeah. you in particular, who has so much love and, you know, it's just nurturing being around you for you to be bringing that to the world. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, let's talk about the, the forest bathing first, because that's a yeah. term that not, maybe not everybody knows. Um, yeah. I know it because I, I actually wrote about it in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, because in Japan, they call it for forest bathing too, which sounds really fancy. Um, mm-hmm. But what is forest bathing? Well, uh, as you said, it started in Japan and um, it's Shin, Shinrin Roku. Roku. Is that how I say it? I think that's how I, I say know. it. Um, and it's translated to English to, to exactly like that forest bathing. And so that's where the term comes from. And in Japan, it started in the 80s as a wellness practice for stress reduction, where it's just spending time in nature, connecting to nature. Uh, and in this model, the Forest Therapy Hub is looking at what about that has been um, healing and, and also combining it with some other practices of social connection and really looking at uh, theories of, of uh, looking at a number of different social um, wellness theories and trying to understand the role of nature in that. And in our connection, what they found is both in Japan and there's tons of research coming out around it that when just spending time in nature itself is healing. And then when you add onto it a practice of engaging your senses uh, intentionally and thoughtfully, mindfulness, which you know you you reference in your book, and where your expertise is is in mindfulness. It's taking the the practices of mindfulness in nature and really engaging your senses deeply um, in noticing sights, sounds, smells, your body. Um, and when you do that in natural environments that have all of these, um, nature's incredible because it it has. Uh, negative ions and metro it has all these things that are just there and so when you just sit in that nature your 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 body automatically engages in ways that are healing so the practice is just be in nature the the japanese wellness practice of forest bathing um forest therapy hub has been taking that up a notch and has created a sequence of engaging activities that are done uh, to improve your body. And, and you'll learn more about that in season four, because we do interview um, Alex Geese, who is the founder and executive director for if, uh, Forest Therapy Hub. And, and he really, he, he's going to share with us some more about that. But, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, and so in Japan, they have forest bathing as a part of their national health, like, mm-hmm. like program. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, and it makes sense. I think all of us, when we are in nature, we feel better. Yeah. Um, and maybe we can't always put our finger on it. And I think we've talked about this in the past. I think the ways that that can look can be really different. I probably referenced it when we when we interviewed Alex, but it's, you know, I feel like so much of the things that we now talk about, I stumbled upon <laughs> accidentally mm-hmm. um, in, in not in desperation necessarily, but in like a real effort to connect with my kids and find ways to help myself feel better in what is always a stressful profession and has mm-hmm. gotten um, far worse lately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just the act of like digging in the dirt, doing gardening, all those mm-hmm. things are really profound um, mm-hmm. in terms of helping us feel better. And now there's some science that helps us to understand why that there are these negatively and positively charged ions and other things that literally recharge, literally recharge our batteries. Because I think we yeah. often forget that we are actually 
we have an electrical system inside of us. We don't plug mm -hmm. ourselves into a wall outlet, but actually nature would be a good place, for example, to plug ourselves back in. Yeah. Um, and that we, yeah. we feel better and we're so isolated from that. And in a world where we have rubber shoes and we often you yeah. know, live on the third floor of a building. Um, so we're, we're literally separated from nature in so many ways. And it's just such a necessary part of our lives. So I'm, I'm super excited that you're doing it. I know you're also starting to integrate this in some ways in your private therapy practice where you're doing walking therapy sessions yeah. um, outside. I, I wonder if you see the connection between those things. Oh, definitely. They're, they're, they're definitely you know, related. Um, I'm, you know, I'm leaving my current position in the district that I've worked in, um, in varying roles and varying partnerships for, for 20 years. So it's an exciting and pretty, oops, an exciting and pretty scary time. Um, yeah. And part of the, part of what I, I know, taking the neurosequential stuff, which talks about patterned, repetitive, rhythmic, there, there's a lot of evidence that doing therapy while walking and moving, um, it gets into different parts of our brain and activates different ways of being regulated. And so there's, there's growing bodies of evidence that there's a lot of power and healing talking and, and and walking at the same time or just even walking in with um with a supportive co-regulating presence and sort of yeah. using that body-centered way of moving and so combining that with the sensory connection activities my my hope um is to have a small practice of walking therapy that's engaging nature but also using the neurosequential model with dr bruce perry to, together combining those practices together to to really maximize healing and wellness. I, I, I'm, I'm rereading um, the emergent strategy and pleasure and, and now I've just started pleasure activism again, which is our local uh, Adrian Brown, which she's from Oakland. Um, and really thinking about how and Sean Denright at the same time. So there, there's this theme of moving away from like problem loving. And um, the activism that's sustainable by like, how do we make it joyful? How do we make sure we include the, the pleasure? Because it's not sustainable. And if we're, we're constantly doing this work in relationship to the pain and forgetting like, what do we wanna see? How do we engage the environment to, to be more joyful? And so that's, I'm excited about the private practice part. I'm excited about just, it feels like everything that has, felt good to me over the years is sort of coming together in this coalescing way um, and leaving the system and still being a part of it. But from the, from the, and, and I think educators often feel many educators, I'm not the only one. We have a mass exodus of, of educators and it's a difficult decision. Um, but I really struggled to, to, with that decision because it felt like, I no longer, I'm sure I believe in the way that we're doing things. And as I, I watched what has happened and how we've responded to this, to this pandemic and the returning back in, I, I just didn't feel like I could continue at the pace I was doing and I needed more joy. So it's exciting. Well, I'm, I, I applaud you making that decision. I know it's, uh, it was, I mean, I was, I had a front row seat and so a lot of ways I got to see how much you were working with it and, um, I know part of it is just that you're just so loyal and protective of 
uh, other educators that you want to make sure that they're taken care of and are supported. And I was watching how much you're burning out um, because you're somebody who people go to, you know, when there's, when there's a fire, you're running into it. The fires Mm -hmm. are emotional breakdown or child, you know, extreme trauma responses to things, but that takes a toll. And, um, uh, uh, so as a, as a friend and someone who loves you and who knows all of what you have to offer, I'm, I'm really excited for you and I know it's scary and I, I think you're going to do great. And already I know you're getting some clients and I think you're going to have the problem of turning people <laughs> away. I think you're going to have too much to do uh, versus yeah. not having enough. And, uh, and that's a good problem to have. Um, it is. And yeah. Chris, Chris is already like uh, on, you know, my, my husband and partner of, of 20, uh, 24 years um, is on, he's on deck to make sure that I <laughs> keep trying to keep him. I can't imagine it. he'd be shy about that. So no. I think he's, a good, he's a good accountability partner in that way. Susan and Chris are both from Boston and Chris definitely carries more of the Boston in him <laughs> daily than Susan. Yeah, he's good at the loving accountability. Uh, He's not shy. So it's good. That's what's needed. Um, And I'm excited that your family's in the place to make this happen because I know you've been working on it for a long time. So that's that's great. You also are starting like a whole, like you have a website. So Susan, can you tell us how people can find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, the name, so I'm launching, um, part of the work in in this is I don't want to do it alone. And so I started, the collective, which is, it's right now, it's just sort of an idea at this point. But um, if you are interested, I'm looking to bring together healers, educators, folks who are interested in reimagining what education can look like, reimagining what healing can look like, reimagining joyful communities. Um, and so the name of my uh, venture, which I haven't decided if it's a business or a nonprofit, still working in that piece of it is Hope Reimagined, and you can find us at hopereimagined.org. Um, we have a number. I, I already have some forest bathing uh, trips coming up that folks are, are welcome to sign up through the website. Uh, if you are an educator, you can reach out to me for our educator discounts for forest bathing. Um, but again, that is Hope reimagined.org and you can learn all about it. Our mission is um, every community deserves an abundance of hope, healing opportunities and playful environments. And so really the goal is to collectively bring people who are interested in making that a reality, come together and engage in the uh, joyful and complex and sometimes challenging work of, of moving that forward. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't even know that HOPE was an acronym. That's really yeah. yeah. Healing opportunities and playful environments. That's exactly what we need. It's um, exactly what we need. That's exactly what we need. That's, that's really cool, Susan. I really, really love that that's going on. And I, I cannot wait to get out in the forest phase with you, which I think is happening next week, is it not? Yeah. Uh, no, not next week. May 7th. So by the time oh, the podcast comes find. out, I think it'll be uh, a couple weeks away. Okay. So if people are Bay Area locals, if you're a Bay Area local, um, go to hopereimagine.org and you can learn how to be be a part of it, perhaps in person, um, in one of Susan's upcoming uh, forest bathing adventures. Um, 
Yeah. And I'll be there at least for one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you're also uh, traveling, I've been doing some traveling. I'm, I'm, I'm actually traveling right now. I'm in St. Louis right now. I'll be presenting at the Trauma-Informed Relationship Conference um, and then doing a full-day workshop following. So if your uh, school or community is interested in learning about how to create therapeutic environments, um optimizing your community to be healing and playful, joyful places. Uh, I'm happy to work with you and your organization or your school to, to develop training or That's coaching. Very good. <laughs> nice. Very good. Yay. And now we should transition to what you're doing. you got a lot yeah. going on too. We are some busy mamas. We are busy mamas. <laughs> too busy on my end as usual. Yeah. You know, um, Speaking of speaking, um, I think I, I actually just updated my CV a couple weeks ago. And in the last three years, um, I've given somewhere over 30 talks at present, you know, presentations at conferences around the world. Um, most of those virtually because COVID um, and some of those in person. So I did a lot. I've done a lot of traveling to to Chicago. So I was in Illinois just last month. Um and uh, Hawaii in January and um, have been doing some locally here in California. Um, and it's been a real, it's been a real pleasure and opportunity to coalesce some ideas that have been rattling around in my head for a while. So, you know, I, I wrote and published this book pre-pandemic, um, your, The Educator's Guide to Using Your Three Eyes, which is all around this concept of how to, uh, like the necessity is us as humans. I, I framed it around educators cause that's the group I know well, but that for us to be successful in um, really creating the changes and the educational environments we want for our kids, we need to start by developing a nurturing and loving relationship with ourselves mm-hmm. and start working on ourselves. So I call that self-work. So you do the self-work at minimum alongside the school work, but ideally, um, ideally, uh, Sorry, my phone started ringing. I did not turn it off, uh, even though you did. Um, we do the self-work at minimum um, alongside the schoolwork, if not, um, if not totally separate. So um, that's what I talk about in different forms. Um, are your earbuds not working? No, they're working now. Okay. They fell out um, of my ears. All the technologies started going off all at the same time. My phone is still going off. I'm just trying to ignore it. Um so that's what I've been talking about essentially is that. So when I wrote the book originally, you know, and three years ago, I think people thought that I was a little bit crazy and this idea was a little bit ridiculous. Um, but now I think it's become like an accepted norm. Um, you were ahead of your time, Megan. Ahead of my of time, time, sister. Um, you know, yeah. uh, and many people were, I was referencing yeah. research that's been around. So certainly not trying to claim like I invented all this stuff, but um, it is cool now that, you know, when I wrote the book, it was just really hard to get people to buy into it or to understand why, like, you know, cause a lot of that self-work is like taking care of ourselves and nurturing ourselves, applying mm-hmm. mindfulness, forest bathing, accessing joy. Um, and that you need to do that so you can understand more about yourself and do some of the harder work that's also mm-hmm. lying underneath the surface um, because we bring our whole selves to our schools right. and we often ignore that. We only focus on 
on the training we have or on the technical skills it requires for us to be a teacher or a therapist or whatever, but our human selves are there as well and our lived experiences are there. And when we pretend like those two are divorced, we actually do ourselves a disservice. We certainly do our students a disservice. Um, and we're not able to be as effective in our job. So that's what I, that's my idea. Um, so I've been talking about it um, in, in three kind of ways. Um, one is just straight up mindfulness and why mindfulness is important. So I, I do love um, teaching about mindfulness and leading mindfulness like retreats. I haven't done a lot of those lately. Um, although I did a couple, um, I was able to, I was uh, invited to participate in a mindfulness conference for educators um, that was in Korea. Um, so I did it remotely, but um, in December, I think, um, I got to zoom in, beam into Korea, and my head was something like 10 feet tall on the screen. <laughs> um, so I'd ignore all of that. Um, but I was in Korea um, being able to speak and give presentations there. Um, and, uh, so I do talk a lot about mindfulness and why that's important. It's a lot of what we just talked about, you know, reconnecting with ourselves and taking care of ourselves is so important, especially in this time. Uh, but also when we I don't know you talk about grounding in your book too, the, mm -hmm. the electrical magnetic field mm -hmm. and, and that piece. Um, yeah. All this, all the things. Things. Yeah. Um, so so that's there. Um, and so I talk about mindfulness and, and why that's important and why if we don't, if we aren't mindful, we're actually just kind of um, undermining our own efforts. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one like bit of work that I've been continuing to work on. The second is um, uh, I've been talking a lot about servant leadership, which is a, a mm -hmm. similar version of the same thing, but essentially focused on leaders. Like Mm -hmm. why in like I, I'm a big believer in servant leadership that's definitely how I lead but like why in this time in particular it's kind of mm -hmm. urgent for leaders to take that stance where we're listening mm -hmm. where we're empowering people it's much less of a top-down white supremacist approach towards leadership mm -hmm. when you're doing servant leadership you're listening to others and drawing on their assets it's like the decolonization um, of mm -hmm. leadership Absolutely. So, um, so I talk a lot about that. And so I've done quite a few talks on that um, around the country and virtually. Um, and uh, yep, that. And then the last thing that I've been working on lately is all it's all interconnected and related, but is um, I got a micro grant or a mini grant, I guess, uh, to try a little pilot that I was calling that I'm calling school stories. And Essentially, it's it's absolutely connected to all these other pieces that mm -hmm. I focus on, which is that we need to understand and know our stories and own our stories. And there's actually a big body of research that says that when we tell stories, two things happen. One, we learn a lot more about ourselves. And so as, if educators write in the third person point of view, for example, about something they did, um, they're like, we're like to, pro to process, say, something that happened during their day. Um, just the act of writing it out, they gain these really powerful and deep insights that shift and mm -hmm. shape their practice. So that's one thing that happens when we tell our stories. The other thing and the thing that I think is really crucial for this moment we're at in education is um, when we tell stories, it it creates and draws people in as an audience in a really different way. So when we get stuck in the intellectual data, like mm -hmm. facts and figures, we miss out on like the story part. But stories actually move us to action in a way that the, the, the facts and figures do not. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. I got a, a micro grant to be able to, or mini grant to be able to um, 
explore this a little bit more and see if the storytelling thing had legs. And what I did is I turned around and turned them into microgrants, which is why I keep saying microgrant because that's what's on my mind. Um, and was able to provide uh, scholarships for 23 educators from around the world to participate in the op-ed project. And the op-ed project is a nonprofit that that um, trains people to tell their stories um, and and to write um, an op-ed and prepare people to be able to, to have those op-eds be um, published. Um, so we were able to give that to 23 educators, one of whom um, her her op-ed was published in the largest um, newspaper in Africa, which is where she wow. lives. Um, I haven't heard from the others that they've been able to get their op-eds out there. Um, but actually she talks about what she wrote about in her op-ed and we interviewed her on the, on the podcast. The so two of my, my grantees we interviewed and there will be a show called school stories that features them. Um, but she writes about um, taking kids out to do mindfulness um, in the forest, because where she lives in Africa, the forest is right there, and what that, how that's transformed um, the kids that she supports. So very connected to what we were talking about earlier. Mm. Uh, so I've been doing all of that, um, and I, you know, my consulting firm. Um, I tend to spend most of my time um, coaching educators. So I, I coach like superintendents and assistant superintendents, sometimes principals, um, on you know, creating change. And so I help them to engage with community envision changes and, and roll those out. Um, so I, I have a very much of a front row seat of what our uh, executive leaders are facing in this moment. And it's really You're doing different. a lot of strategic work with them too, right? Like really yeah, helping them. Yeah, planning with them, yeah. right? Yeah, they don't, they, they like the mindfulness stuff, but what they need is, is the strategic planning. And so that's <laughs> what we do. And I'm, I love strategic planning and it's, it's some of the work that I, I like to do. Um, but in, in my, my goal is by June is to actually have a lot of my online courses ready to go. So I have a, an online site, um, in, on teachable called, uh, your three eyes. So my school is your three eyes, Y O U R three E Y E S, um, on teachable. And I, I have courses there, but my goal is to launch, um, uh, uh, those courses as live live action courses during the summer so I can problem solve and work with educators around the world around. So they'll be synchronous. They'll be live. Yeah, they'll be synchronous. Um, I've been offering them as asynchronous courses, but I'd like to have them be synchronous so we can actually have some of that back and forth. And I'm mm-hmm. working on a second edition of, or a, you know, revised edition of my book. Um, it's great the way it is now. And um, the gift of the last few years is that, uh, because suddenly people understand this topic a little bit mm-hmm. more. There's a lot more information. So I just want to take another mm-hmm. look at it and see if I can yeah. bump up the research a bit and then create a companion workshop, which I've been, oh, sorry, workbook, which I've been wanting to do for a very long time. Yeah, that was almost a plan from the beginning, if I remember. Three years ago, that was the yeah. plan. <laughs> Um, and I haven't done it. So I want to finally get that done. So my, my goal is to get all those things done in the next couple of months and just really buckle down and do it because I think this summer, um, educators need to rest, but I also know this is when we try and, um, think a little bit more. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's the reflect. It's the, you know, it's the so important time to pause, recharge and reflect. And I think think the, that there's never enough of that time but the last couple of years there's been zero that time yeah like there's been nothing it, 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 teachers have been going educators have been going principals uh superintendents 
everyone who's involved in education right now has just had their foot on the gas for um, for years. I know in, in Oakland, um, spring break came really late. <laughs> and I'm not really sure why, but it just came really late. And you can really feel the like, almost hear the pop, 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 pop to the, to the finish mm-hmm. line. And so I think the work that you're doing around that self work about that stopping, pausing, going internal, really making time to make sense of what this experience has been and how to learn from it, how to grow from it, how to redo some things before we come back. Um, You know, I think both of us continued to say throughout the pandemic, like, how are we going to emerge from this better than we came in? And and, and so far we haven't, we haven't done that yet. Um, Not at all. And I, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of the school year, but it does feel like the, the loss of educators, the, the, the sheer number of educators that are leaving um, is going to cause some kind of rethinking. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really, I, I've been, in addition to all my other activities, I've been being a co-principal at a high school this semester. I came in in January, so at the height of the Omicron um, impact, which was super awesome and fun. Um, and, uh, you know, we've ha- we have three open positions. And, you know, for in the height of the Omicron, we had no subs. There were days where yeah. we had half the teachers out. And not just for a day. We'd actually have weeks because of yeah. the requirement for, for quarantine. If someone was out, they'd be out for two weeks. So we'd have weeks where we'd have almost half the staff out. Um, and now actively have three positions open that we have not been able to fill. Um, and that is unusual. Um, yeah. it, it's been hard, you know, it's been getting increasingly difficult to find teachers, but now it's just become like almost impossible. And I, mm-hmm. I feel for the kids and what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel for the adults that are, are at the school because it mm-hmm. absolutely leads to an, an additional burden on the, on the people that are, are there when they're open positions. Cause we have to fill yeah. them every day because the kids are there. Um, and as we're looking and, I, and as I'm supporting these other school districts, like trying to find um, people at every level of the organization, it is difficult. The number of applicants yeah. is far smaller. Yeah. Um, and, and I think uh, it's about to get harder at the end of the school year. I, I, absolutely. I think you know, you're right. are like, squeezing in you know like sl- not not squeezing like sliding into the finish line and then they're going to walk away um yeah yeah you know there's a there's article after you see on facebook or in in education publications weekly um th- this concern this, the exit you know there's the resignation across the country in all kinds of areas but i think in education it's, it's higher and teachers are seeing that they can, they're, they're so highly skilled and they can leave education and go into corporate jobs or nonprofit jobs that pay better and have far less stress. Much and better work-life balance. Much, yeah, much better mm-hmm. work-life balance. And, and I, I think the other thing that has been so hard is that because the families are also really, really stressed and really also feeling the impact that um, there's there's been teachers have taken the brunt in a lot of places around the um, distress of the families who then take mm-hmm. it out on on educators who are then treated poorly by 
the families. And that Absolutely I think, is probably the number one thing that is driving teachers out. Yeah, it's been interesting, right? So um, when we went to online learning, um, suddenly parents had a, a view of what was happening in instruction in the classroom in a way that they didn't. Um, and parents became activated um, because they started to understand education in a different way, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but as it's been a perennial issue in education, but I think you're right, it's absolutely gotten worse. Um, rather than trying to understand what's underneath some of the, the gaps that they're seeing or the challenges that they're seeing, they're just looking at the first person they can see and kind of poking at that person or, mm-hmm. or the principals or assistant superintendents or superintendents. Like anyone in an education system is getting so much pushback. Um, yeah. Yep. And, and it's showing up in things like I, 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 ha- I coach someone in a district that I don't work in. Um, I just want to clarify so, so mm-hmm. that it's not shown who it is, but uh, their parking lot situation, right? Because parking is dropping off and parking. Like if you have a kid who's in elementary school, you know, any school across the country, the drop off is always, you know, you, you need an engineer mm-hmm. to come in there or a traffic control mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the teachers don't want to be in the parking lot anymore because they have been yelled at um, and treated so poorly repeatedly by mm-hmm. parents that mm-hmm. it becomes such a level of stress that staff members are, are like refusing to cover and support in that area because the yelling from families and, and we know the families are under a lot of stress too and that, that, that that's contagious but I think that's an example of even not even in the instruction piece, just in the, the, the humanity of those positions. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're totally right, Susan. It's yeah, I'm seeing it. And it's and it's unrelenting, to be quite honest, because not only are there challenges coming from um, parents, but teachers and administrators are also getting pressure from districts, from yep. other places and like school leaders have pressure after pressure after pressure after pressure mm-hmm. coming their way. Um, and it's incredibly difficult. So you just, you're getting it from every angle. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the folks that I support, you know, I see it and I can see the impact of that, what that looks like and feels like for them. Um, which is why we need hope. Yep. (laughs) Why why we need need mindfulness. Um, so I'm really grateful that, um, that we're doing that. So it's so easy to fall into the problem loving, right? We just, we just fell into problem loving. It's so easy to fall into problem loving and, you know, Sean Jen, right. Is, he talks about that too in the, in the book and I'm really working hard not, not to and we, we just did it Shirley no dogs it was Shirley you're right <laughs> um it's it's so hard not to and I I think that as long as we continue to and it, it continue to stay seated in that position of problem loving it, it, we're not going to be able to reimagine the other. And I think that's, that was really what drove the decision to, to engage hope, um, hope reimagined outside of there. And I, I know you've been there, uh, you got there a lot sooner than me, it, 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 but it is still hard, right? The pull to come back into the problem. Oh yeah. I mean, I, and I, I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm still in it, right? So I'm a school board member. Um, I work with leaders and I, I, I feel the burden of it even when it's not directly me, um, but I feel the burden of it um, 
in, in the folks that I support. And I did chose to actually go right into it. You know, I went into the fire, um, Mm -hmm. being at a high school right now, um, where, you know, it's just so stressful every day. Um, yeah, I'm hoping maybe we can get Sean in there. I mean, I know Sean. Yeah. Um, maybe we can get Sean on our show. I think that would be really cool. Um, cause he's such a great, Hey, I just, I could listen to him all day, um, talking and, um, I think it'd be great to bring him to this audience. So I want to work on that. I'm going to ask Sean to be on our show. That would be, yeah, I think it, I, I think he's really, his book that just came out, the four pivots is really aligned with both what, what you, what your book is about and what hope reimagined is about is really, um, it's not ignoring the, the level of problem that we have. It's not denying it. It's not, that that's really important work to like be honest about the situation that we're in, but then also to be able to open up with curiosity, to be able to create the space for imagining not just what the what we're against, but what we're for, not just what's wrong, but how how to make things right. Um, and and I think that's where I'm hoping that you know this. I I'm, I know you and I are both really wanting that and so I think that's the focus of season four a little bit is like mm-hmm. how do we start to really embrace the the solutions that are innovative creative and um one of the one of the quotes from my fourth bathing training and I, I think it was Pedro I want to I don't want to I want to credit it to the right person but it was forest bathing is both uh very ancient and cutting edge and mm-hmm. so like, how do we, and mindfulness is very ancient and cutting edge. It's like, mm-hmm. how do we pull and draw from all of these ancient practices that were so, they worked for thousands and thousands of years and they were abandoned for capitalism and, 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 and industrialization and all the ways that we've come forward. It's like, how do we revisit those things and bring them into the current moment and take uh, stock of what we have available to us in this moment. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, I mean, you named it. So our, our theme for season four is, is how do we solve this problem, but not in a problem loving way, but in a nurturing way, how do we connect to joy? How do we highlight examples of people that are out in the world making those changes, um, that are real and tangible because I think it can feel just impossible. Um, so if you're one of those people and you're listening, um, reach out to us, um, yeah. uh, your3eyes.com or hopereimagine.org. We can, our email addresses are there. Um, you can also and I actually have a button our- that uh, on the media page where folks can fill out, if they're interested in being a guest on the show, you can just fill out the form uh, on hopereimagine.org. And I oh, can great. share that and- with you too. And if you want to update it on your three eyes. Yeah, you can also... Um, we both have Facebook pages um, for our businesses um, with links to being able to message us there. Um, you can also just reply to this. Yep. We're being live. Reply here and we will see you and we will reach back out to you because um, we want to we want to focus on the solutions in a way that's generative and that um, is going to be nurturing and transformative. So um, we're here for it. Yep. I've I, I forgot to share it with all my people on Facebook. We just went live and I didn't even tag anyone. So we have somebody watching. Thank you. We're, we're, we appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Oh, Shirley's chiming in. She says, thanks okay. too. Um, Susan, this was great to touch base with you again. Um, I know in the, in the coming weeks, we already have shows starting to go out. So mm-hmm. starting on, um, 
on two, on next Thursday, our first guest will be coming out. We've been doing some interviews. Um, school stories will be the first show up. So those two um, micro grantees um, will be talking. As I mentioned, one of them does mindfulness um, with kids in Africa and takes them off and out into nature. And the other is a woman who is working to disrupt the education system through empowering um, African-American youth to um, kind of take their future in their hands. And she said something when we interviewed that that was just, you know, I just loved it, which is like, you know, we were talking about equity and I was like, right, you know, as a white person, I see my role as making a space at the table. And she's like, no, what we need to do is just make a new table. And I was Mm -hmm. like, right, of course. Um, So she talks a lot about like the work she's doing to create a new table where there isn't someone who's giving access to it. Right. Um, But um, actually we need to have a, a new table metaphorical table where everyone's able to show up. So she's exciting. She does really cool work, lots of mentoring with kids um, around helping them to envision basically putting their businesses into life. That's what they're about. Um, So uh, that'll be the first show. And then we have a forest bathing show coming up with, um, remind me his name again. Alex Alex Gee. Uh-huh. What's say it again? Alex Gee. Alex Geese, it's not Eric at all, it's Alex. (laughs) Nothing against you, Alex. I have no memory for names, as Susan will attest. Um, And we've met with somebody who's a sports coach. Her show's coming out, as well as uh, another educator that we interviewed um, who who lives in um, Texas, who has been all the things, which I always love to highlight those people who have yeah. been all the roles. He was, a, he was a really fun. He's, yeah, he, Sam he, Nick. It's, a, it's a fun interview. Really encourage you to check out that one. He was really great to talk and to. Similar to what we talked about, a heart-centered yeah. and intentional approach to uh, leadership. So um, it's catching and I love it. And um, we want to bring more of those stories forward so that we folks can see what it looks like and see themselves in the change. Um so Susan, thank you for this time this morning. I really appreciate yeah. it. All the way from Illinois. Right. Yeah. Um, and we'll see you on the other side. All right. Bye, everyone. Class Bye, is man. dismissed. Wasn't that fun? Susan and Megan are always happy to greet you on the next episode of The Awakening Educator. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Education is the foundation for a brighter future. Open your eyes to the Awakening Educator.